other side of midnight with Frank Morano. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high as a kite by then. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We've got a lot of problems on this planet. You don't need me to list them for you. There are problems with climate change. There are problems with natural resources and concerns about the future of things like water and other things. There are problems, or at least people believe there may be problems, with overpopulation in the future. So what comes next? Well, for a whole lot of people, and I think a lot of Americans have been thinking about this since Ray Bradbury wrote The Martian Chronicles, the answer is obvious. The answer is colonizing somewhere otherworldly. And the place that gets looked to most frequently is Mars. Now, we talk about other places, but when we actually talk about colonies on other worlds, the one that most frequently gets mentioned, maybe it is because of the Ray Bradbury book or the recent William Shatner reality show, Stars on Mars, the place that gets talked about most often is Mars. Well, there is a very accomplished uh, intellectual, educator, scientist, best-selling author who says, well, wait a minute, maybe we should pump the brakes or at least think about this before we go full throttle with colonizing Mars. I'm very pleased uh, to welcome to the program Dr. Kelly Wienersmith. She's an adjunct faculty member in the Biosciences Department at Rice University and a best-selling author whose newest book is A City on Mars, Can We Settle Space? Should We Settle Space? And Have We Really Thought This Through? Kelly, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on the show. Kelly, why has there always been so much interest in going to Mars? I very rarely hear people talking about putting colonies on Neptune or, or Pluto, that former planet that we, we miss so much. Why is Mars special? Well, you know, all of space is super inhospitable to humans, but Mars is maybe the least inhospitable. It's got the most of the stuff that humans need to survive. So if we're hoping to set up a settlement that is going to be able to survive, for example, the death of Earth one day, Mars is our best shot at doing it. It has lots of water. The temperature is pretty reasonable. Uh, it's got almost Earth-like days and nights. It's got just a lot, of the, a lot of good stuff that we could turn into habitats and that we could use to start a new settlement. How serious is the talk of otherworldly colonies in general and on Mars specifically? you talk to. So if you're talking to Elon Musk, for example, he would tell you that we can have boots on the ground on Mars in, you know, a couple years. And then a couple decades after that, we can have up to a million people living on Mars. And it's possible that we could have rockets that could do that. Uh, but I think we'd be just sending people to Mars to die because there's a lot of things that we haven't had figured out yet that we need to uh, have figured out if we're actually going to be trying to survive. And in particular, have babies and families on Mars. And if you're talking to Jeff Bezos, uh, then he will also would also be telling you that, yes, settlements can become a reality, but he's pushing for rotating space settlements. So there are these giant cylinders that rotate, that uh, simulate Earth gravity so that we can have a gravity like the one that we evolved with. 
Uh, so I, I think they both say that these are realistic uh, options, but maybe their time frames differ a little bit with Musk thinking it could happen sooner. So l- let's address some of the questions you ask in the title of your book. Uh, one would think, of course, we should settle space, right? I mean, it'd be nice to have another option of another place that humans can live on if we do something either through nuclear war or uh, something else that makes this planet inhospitable. Do you share that conventional wisdom that, of course, we should look outward? be great for us to look outward, but I think we need to be cognizant of time frames here. So if we're going to be trying to set up a self-sustaining community on Mars, and we're really having a backup plan for humanity by doing that, then that civilization would need to be able to like completely stand alone. So if something catastrophic happened to Earth, it got hit with a giant asteroid, for example, the people on Mars would need to be able to survive without ever getting another resupply from Earth. And a big point of our book is that that is probably going to take generations. You know, I can't imagine, you know, with these completely these these habitats that are so, so like exquisitely or sensitive to technological requirements that they're going to be able to make computer chips uh, on Mars in the foreseeable future is pretty unlikely. And so what we need to do is start thinking very long term. So if we want to set up a civilization on Mars that could survive the death of Earth, then we need to be figuring or, you know, thinking about the steps that we need to take. And in particular, we need to be careful to make sure that anything we do as we move out to Mars doesn't increase the risk uh, to Earth or to, to the species and the, pe- the people that are left behind uh, on Earth. And there are a couple reasons to think that going to Mars increases existential threat on Earth. So, for example, going and moving out in space to space probably is going to require being able to move things like giant asteroids around so that you can get the resources that are in those asteroids. Right. Yeah. So you said, ooh, that is a bit of a scary thought. The dinosaurs, it didn't work so well for them. Uh, and so, you know, you worry you worry a bit about, you know, for example, dictators who are wanting to attack another country. But. I'm not so worried that they would be flinging asteroids at Earth because the risk that there's some like blowback is pretty high. But then if you think about terrorists or even just accidents, you know, humans make a mistake in their calculations and they get too close to Earth and the asteroid comes hurtling towards us. It's just you got to be careful when people have access to that much, much mass in the gravity well above Earth. And then finally, you got to worry about conflict between nuclear powers and, you know, China and the U.S are two space powers that also have nuclear weapons and the international law regime for space is pretty unclear. And so you'd hate to see this being something that we fight over. Is there another planet that you might like better for a potential human colony one day? I read an article last week that they discovered what they're calling a a super earth somewhere that might be in that sweet spot of being habitable. Is there somewhere else other than Mars that might work out better that doesn't involve risking moving asteroids and hurting life on this planet? Well, you know, if we could get humans to other solar systems, I do feel like that would mitigate a lot of the risk that we would have, you know, back here on Earth. But unfortunately, at the moment, the tech, we just don't have the technology to visit other solar systems uh, and to, you know, get our humans there alive. Uh, in terms of other options on this solar system, you know, the moon is not, you know, not a planet, but the moon is a place where we could try to learn some of this stuff. But the moon doesn't have a lot of the things that we need to survive. So, for example, it has some water, but not a lot. It would be hard to sustain a civilization there permanently. Uh, But it is a place where we could go to learn how to create habitats that don't break down and can, 
you know, do well in the space environment, which has massive temperature swings and is exposed to more radiation than we're exposed to here on Earth because we have a lovely magnetosphere and atmosphere that protects us. Um, so we could learn on the moon, but probably not going to have a self-sustaining civilization there. We did see some proposals for um, living on Mercury. So Mercury mm. is the planet that's closest to the sun. So it is very, very hot there. Uh, but the proposal was that if you go, uh, if you have a settlement that tracks the spot where day meets night, there is a temperature band there that is survivable. And so as long as your society is constantly moving to track that spot, then you won't get fried. Uh, and that doesn't seem like a fun way to live to me. So yeah, I, sure. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not pushing for mercury. So there's not a lot of other good options in our solar system. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Kelly Wiener-Smith. She's the author of uh, the new book, A City on Mars, Can We Settle Space? Should We Settle Space? And Have We Really Thought This Through? Uh, Kelly, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, one of the people that's been banging the drums on uh, colonization of Mars for a long time is a real space pioneer and uh, I think a genuine American hero, and that's Buzz Aldrin. Now, Buzz Aldrin is a little quirky, but he's got not only common sense smarts, but, you know, a lot of scientific smarts as well. He has said we should absolutely make this a priority, even if it means the people are never coming back. Is Buzz Aldrin not seeing something about the realities of the timing of this that you are? Oh, yeah, so that's a great question. So no doubt about it, Buzz Aldrin is brilliant. And a lot of the engineers and the physicists who think about this question focus on things like, well, what trajectory should we take to get there? And how long is it going to take to get there? And, you know, the, the physics and the engineering sides of things. Uh, and there's still some problems to be worked out there, but we're, we're getting close to figuring a lot of that stuff out. Uh, but it gets a little bit trickier when you get to questions about biology. So if you were if you were to ask me, you know, is it is it ethically acceptable to send a bunch of adults who have been uh, completely caught up to date on what we know about the risks and they know that they might die and we send them on a one way trip? Is that OK? I would say, yeah, sure. Adults have a right to make their own decisions. But when we're talking about settlements, we're talking about having, you know, babies and children in space. And at the moment, we actually have very little data on how space in a place like Mars is going to impact the human body. So, you know, the International Space Station has had astronauts on it for decades, and there were space stations orbiting Earth even before that. So we know a lot about how adults can handle space for about a year or less. But when they're orbiting Earth, they're protected by the magnetosphere, and space has very different radiation than we have here on Earth. So we actually know hardly anything about how the radiation you experience in space and you would experience on a place like Mars, uh, how that impacts human bodies and cancer risks. And we also don't know about life in partial gravity, which is, you know, somewhere between the gravity we have on Earth and the gravity you experience when you're essentially in free fall orbiting the Earth on the International Space Station, which we know is very bad for bones and muscles and for vision. Mm. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Are, are there other indications that we haven't 
thought this through the biological aspect, the timing aspect, which, you know, obviously both of those are pretty important. The asteroid moving around aspect, which is pretty frightening. Are there anything else that we're missing that when we talk about, you know, dreaming of living on Mars one day, people should keep in mind? You know, I would love to see us spending a lot more money and a lot more time and energy thinking about uh, what are called closed loop ecosystems. So the idea here is that you're recycling as much of everything as you can. So, you know, the urine is being given to the to water the plants and the plants are absorbing the carbon dioxide that you breathe out and they're generating new oxygen. And that's what you're eating. And just figuring out how to recycle all of the stuff that we extract from Mars or we bring from Earth is going to be really important because it will always be super expensive to ship stuff from Earth to Mars. So whatever you ship, you want to use as many times as you can. And for the foreseeable future, it's going to be hard to extract resources on Mars. And importantly, it's six months to get to Mars. And then because of orbital mechanics, you have to stay there for a year because Mars is pulling away from Earth and getting farther and farther away. So you've got to wait for Mars to start coming back towards Earth. And then it's six months back. So if it turns out that your equipment breaks at a year and a half, you're on your own. You're not going to be able to get any resupply from Earth. And where we are for understanding how these systems work is is pretty kind of abysmal. So like probably the most well-known example was Biosphere 2, which was this 1990s experiment where there was this giant glass geodesic dome. Yeah, made in Arizona, three acres big. And uh, the people in there lost 10 to 16% of their body weight over two years. They split into two hateful factions and were literally spitting on each other. So there's some psychology stuff we might want to figure out. Uh, They tried to keep out species that were undesirable and accidentally they introduced the only scorpion in the United States that's lethal. Uh, And they had to pump oxygen in in at one point because they didn't have enough breathing gas. So there's a lot we still have to learn. And there are a bunch of other smaller scale experiments where, you know, we still haven't managed to figure out how to recycle well enough. And I just think there's a lot of stuff that we need to figure out that we can't figure out very quickly and people aren't investing in enough to get the answer soon enough for us to start a you know, self-sustaining Martian civilization in the next decade or two. So, so at the pl- at the current moment, the uh, there are mm-hmm. no imminent plans to embark upon this. The only person that seems ambitious enough to do this in the short term, is, and maybe with the resources, is Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And Elon Musk uh, has has famously said that his job is to make the rockets to get there. And he expects other people to figure out the other problems, which is totally reasonable. I don't think it should be must must job to solve every problem related to space settlement. But I I do think that it's important to be aware that the other fields aren't keeping up with the rockets. uh, And we really don't want to make sure we know a lot in many different areas before we actually start this this big journey. Um, You also wrote an article a couple months ago for The New York Times saying space billionaires should spend more time thinking about sex is how come is it because of the same issue here that they're not thinking about how future generations will survive in these environments yeah so you know we, we've already talked a bit about how how little we know related to biology in space and those problems are magnified when you're thinking about reproduction and there have been very few exper- like for example we have never sent uh you know a rodent colony up into space and like just watch to see how they did for a few generations Experiments have always been, you know, like we'll send a gecko up for a week and some quail eggs up for three days and then rats up for like, I don't know, six days. And it hasn't really been systematic. 
And, you know, partly that's because the International Space Station wasn't sent up explicitly to prepare us for space settlement. It was more of like a geopolitical thing and, you know, an inspiration thing, too. But the goal hasn't been to prepare us for settling space. So it hasn't been collecting the kind of data that we need. Uh, and so, you know, to us, it seems like if you just send people to Mars without, I don't know, for example, setting up a research station on the moon and studying rat colonies and then sort of scaling up to humans when you're close enough to, like, send everybody home if things go catastrophically wrong, it, you know, it seems ethically perilous to, to be doing those experiments on Mars rather than getting the data beforehand. Well, it makes sense. I'm curious. Do you, I'm sure you saw the film The Martian. Uh, I asked an expert recently what they thought the most realistic film having to do with space travel or anything like that was. And this person said The Martian. I'm curious. Do you agree with that? So I am the wrong person to ask that question to because I, so I watched The Martian before I started researching the book. And uh, what I remember from the book is that like, yeah, it was, it was pretty much going about how I would have expected. It was doing pretty good at matching up with the science, but I, I haven't watched it again since I know, or now that I know everything gotcha. that I know about space. Yeah. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, lastly, let me end with this just because it's something a lot of people are curious about, including me. And I'm curious where you come down on this. And then I have a, a follow-up question based on your your answer. Uh, the the whole country, maybe the whole world, is enveloped in UFO fever, right? Congress is holding hearings on this. We've seen uh, a lot of, you know, very credible people speak out on this. A lot of money being invested in exploring whether or not, you know, extraterrestrials have visited this planet. Where do you come down on this question? Do you have an opinion? I don't have an opinion on the question of whether or not extraterrestrials have visited the planet. I am aware that there has been a lot of talk about it lately, but to be honest, I haven't really been following and, uh, you know, thinking about how I feel about the evidence that's been presented. I think there's almost certainly life out there. There's just way too many other solar systems with potentially, potentially habitable planets for there to not be. But I, I don't know about uh, whether or not I, I believe the recent uh, evidence that there's been UFOs visiting us recently. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is because of what you said about what it would take to get to Mars and what that might do to life on this planet. Because one of the theories behind Fermi's uh, paradox, w meaning, you know, why haven't aliens visited us if they haven't? Let's assume for the purposes of this discussion they have not, is that by the time a civilization gets to the point of being spacefaring and travel those distances, they kind of do something to blow themselves up or destroy themselves. And uh, that would seem to be uh, part of the problem with a Martian colony as well. Who knows? Yes, yes. It's certainly something we should be careful about. I, I think that the, the risks of settling Mars are sort of underappreciated, which is uh, one of the points we hope to get across with this book. Well, uh, the book is A City on Mars. Can we settle space? Should we settle space? And have we really thought this through? It's available on Amazon and uh, wherever else books are sold. Its author, Dr. Kelly Wienersmith, has been kind enough to join me this morning. Kelly, thanks so much. Best of luck with the book. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.